For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? And the people answered him in the manner saying, So shall it be done to the man who kills him. We just mentioned the three things. Now Lihu, the older brother, heard he had spoke to the men, and Elabeb's anger was aroused against David, and he said, Why did you come down here? And with whom have you left those few sheep in the wilderness? I know your pride and the insolence of your heart, for you have come down to see the battle. And David said, What have I done now? Is there not a cause? Look at somebody and say, There is a cause. Then he turned from him toward another and said the same thing, and these people answered him as the first ones did. Now when the words which David spoke were heard, they repeated them to Saul, and he sent for him. Then David said to Saul, Let no man's heart fail because of him. Your servant shall go and fight with this Philistine. Saul said to David, You're not able to go up against this Philistine to fight with him, for you are a youth, and he a man of war from his youth. David said to Saul, Your servant used to keep his father's sheep, and when a lion or a bear came and took a lamb out of the flock, I went after it and struck it and delivered the lamb from its mouth, and when it rose against, against me, I caught it by the beard and struck it and killed it. Your servant has killed both lion and bear, and this uncircumcised Philistine will be like the one of them, seeing he has defied the armies of the living God. Moreover, David said, The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear, he will deliver me from the hand of the Philistine. Saul said to David, Go, and the Lord shall be with you. So Saul clothed David with his armor, and he put a bronze helmet on his head. He also clothed him with a coat of mail. David fastened his sword to his armor and tried to walk, for he had not tested them. And David said to Saul, I cannot walk with these, for I have not tested them. So David took them off. Then he took the staff in his hand, and he chose for himself five smooth stones. Just a little uh, side note here. History says that Goliath had four brothers. And David selected five smooth stones from the brook and put them in a shepherd's bag in a pouch which he had, and his sling was in his hand. And he drew nigh to the Philistines. The Philistine came and began drawing near to David. And the man who bore the shield went before him and saw David. He disdained him, for he was only a youth, ruddy and good-looking. Look at somebody say he was good-looking. So the Philistine said to David, Am I a dog that you come to me with the sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. The Philistine said to David, Come to me, and I will give your flesh to the birds of the air and the beasts of the field. Then David said to the Philistine, You come to me with a sword and a spear, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom thou hast defied. This day shall the Lord deliver thee into my hand, and I will smite thee, and I will take your head from you. And on this day I will give your head to the carcass of the camp of the Philistines, to the birds of the air, and the wild beasts of the earth, so all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. Then all the assembly shall know the Lord does not save with sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into your hands. Say with me this morning, the battle is the Lord's. So it was when the Philistine arose and came and drew nigh to meet David, that David hurried and ran towards the army to meet the Philistine. Then David put his hand in his bag and took out a stone and slung it and struck the Philistine in his forehead. So the stone sank into his forehead, and he fell on his face to the earth. 
So David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling, the stone, and struck the Philistine and killed him. But there was no sword in the hand of David. Therefore David ran and stood over the Philistine, took a sword, and drew it out of its sheath and killed him, and cut off his head with it. What a cool story. <laughs> what a cool story. There is a cause, and the battle is still the Lord's. In looking at this story where David had defeated Goliath, I'm reminded of just a few things that I would like to bring to your attention, that David's attitude was different than those that were around him. I don't want to get ahead of my notes, but the attitude of those around him was Goliath was too big to hit. David's attitude was Goliath was too big to miss. His perspective, first of all, was different. When they saw a challenge or a horror or a fear or a danger, what David saw was an opportunity. There are a lot of times in your life when you're going to go through stuff, and sometimes you might feel like you're overwhelmed by what you're going through, but realize it's just an opportunity for God to allow you to flex your spiritual muscles, to honor your prayer and your praise, to turn the things around in your life that you might declare the battle is the Lord's and the victory is mine. Say that with me. The battle is the Lord's and the victory is mine. The second thing that David came to realize is that he couldn't kill Goliath with Saul's weapons. We have to be careful in life that we don't try to do it the way somebody else did it. Everyone is unique. Everyone is different. David had a, had a, had a sling, and I believe watching sheep was boring. I believe watching sheep, there wasn't a whole lot to it. You get them to green pasture. You make sure nothing attacks them. You make sure there's water for them to drink. So David had hours and hours and hours of, of spare time in his life. And two things he did with that spare, tire, spare time. I start to say spare tire. Two things he did with that spare time. Number one, he mastered the harp. David was such a phenomenal musician that they would bring David into Saul's presence. And when Saul was going through his own personal pity party and his own storms, his own anger, David would play the harp. And the way that David played the harp, the anointing of that harp would soothe the spirit of Saul. And he would, he would turn away from that spirit that was trying to destroy him and trying to kill him. The second thing that David did hours and hours of spare time is he practiced with that sling and he practiced with that stone. If you see the story, we know that David was on one hill, Goliath was on another. Scholars say that Goliath was probably nine foot tall. Look at somebody say, that's pretty tall. That's pretty tall. The Lakers would have liked to, well, everybody, I imagine, would have liked to have signed him up. And many scholars believe that the sword that Goliath carried weighed over 100 pounds. But I, I want you to know the attitude of David. David had to defeat the enemy with the tools and the weapons that he was familiar with and he was accustomed to. I believe so many times in life we fail to realize the powerful weapon that God has given us in the power of prayer. As the president has called today a national day of prayer, God has told us that every day is a day of prayer. That every moment is a moment of prayer. That we need to be constantly being praying and asking God for direction and wisdom and provision and the things that he wants us to have. The second we weapon that you have that God has given you is the power of praise. We know that when you begin to praise the name of the Lord, it, 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 it decrees to the enemy that Jesus is Lord. And the Bible says, where the name Jesus is used, demons have to flee. 
Aren't you glad this morning that you have that power of praise, that your praise can actually turn the tide of the battle, can turn the tide of the enemy, and you can see victory? Three major battles in the Old Testament when they got ready to go to war. They said, should we go this way? God said, no, just, just sound a shout, make some music, and let me get excited about the music going on, and I will defeat the enemies that are in your life. Aren't you glad this morning that there are enemies that you will never encounter, you will never accost, because God himself has already defeated the enemy, and you're walking in victory over battles you did not even fight? Does that encourage anybody this morning? It's almost without exception that you'll get in the freeway and drive any distance that because you're driving defensively, you don't get in a wreck. How many can relate? But how many times has the Lord miraculously intervened for us in areas that we are not even aware of or don't even, are, are even understanding that God has watched over us and taken care of us? Any idea? I think one day we'll stand by his side and he'll open up a screen and show us all the times that he spared us. I will tell you, a crazy story and there is a witness to this story there's a young man that used to go to our church and uh, he had got in some trouble and so we were going to Chattanooga to the court system and we were going to stand on his behalf and try to make sure that that favor was his way that the church supported him as we were on interstate uh, 75 headed towards 24 we got on 24 and we got on 24 there was a car that moved directly into my lane so I simply moved over and went around the car, went around the right of the car, and continued down the road. The guy that I was riding with, or the guy that was with me, went into this, went into this state of just um, freaking out is the only word I know how to use. He literally began to cry. He began to shout. He began to get all excited. And I said, I started to say his name. I will say his name because you won't know him. I said, Scott, what in the world are you what in the world are you, what's going on? Why are you so excited? Why are you happy? Why are you crying? Why are you so, what's, what's going on? He said, Pastor, you don't realize, but we just passed through a fence. I said, excuse me? He said, yes, we just passed through a fence. I said, what do you mean we passed through a fence? And then he said, well, you changed lanes, and there was no lane there, and we just drove through the fence and got in front of the guy. And I said, you have got to be kidding. Let me tell you what we did. We got off the freeway, got back going north, got off the next exit, came back south, and sure enough, where we were riding, there was no room in the left, on the left of the shoulder for us to pass that car. How crazy is that? And I wonder, you guys are looking at me like I have three heads. I'm telling you, I'm, tell, I'm telling you, miracles like that, I believe, happen all the time. Maybe just two heads now. You're double-sided. You're double that Miracles like that, I believe, happen all the time, and we just don't realize it. I wonder how many times the Lord keeps germs and diseases from interfering with our body. I wonder how many times God watches over our tomorrow and lives it for our good. Is that exciting to anybody today? I started to put on Facebook today. Today is, today is the tomorrow you worried about yesterday. Today is the tomorrow you worried about yesterday. Aren't you glad that God is in control? David had to defeat the Goliath with the weapons that God had given him. Don't be jealous over what other people have. Use what God has given you to defeat the enemy. Do I have a friend in the house? The fourth thing that I've, I've found concerning this, or let me, let me go back to the third thing that I found concerning this, was that David had a conviction that God could defeat the enemy. I have been told that 90% of the battle is attitude. 
I have, I have watched cheerleaders, I have watched pep rallies, and I have watched crowds begin to respond in cheer. I've watched football teams. Did, did the Bulldogs win yesterday? They did win. How about that? I have watched football teams get so motivated by the cheers of thousands of people that they went on to great exploits. David had a conviction that God could defeat Goliath because Goliath was not in covenant with God. That's the third thing. Goliath was not in covenant with God. The fourth thing that David had that nobody else had, his motives were different. His motives were different. He was hearing accusations from this giant that was blaspheming God and blaspheming the people of God. And David said, there is a cause. I will stand in behalf of my people. I will represent my people. I will go where God wants me to go because there is a cause. Is there a cause in your life? The fifth thing that I believe that David saw that others did not see was that David had a vision. And that vision was to bring God all the glory. David said, this day... Well, I deliver thee into the hands, and this day I will deliver the fowls of the air and the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. I think a lot of times we're going through storms and we're going through battles, and our attitude is, God, we are going to get this so you can get the glory. And I wonder how many times we give glory for, to, for battles that God has fought for us and has won for us. Life at the age of 62 is really crazy. It, I'm at the place right now where I need a backup for everything. I need a backup toothbrush. I need a backup toothpaste. I need a backup razor. I need a backup not just for the Lexus and the Suburban for the Camry. I'm at. Don't look at me with that. Don't look at me with that tone of voice. I'm at a place where everything I do, I need a backup. And I'm learning that every day there are small victories that I'm winning that God is helping me with. And I know this sounds silly to you, but when you reach in your back pocket and your wallet is gone, you go through this osmosis or biotosis of transforming into freaking out. Can anybody relate? It's like, oh no, my wallet is gone. Where can my wallet possibly be? And then we go on a search and we look where, where we last used our wallet or last used our debit card. I know nobody can relate to what I'm saying. And lo, lo and behold, there's the wallet right where you left. You put something over it. You couldn't see it. God told you to move the paper. You saw the wallet. And what did you do? When you're 62, you give God glory. You give God praise. And you realize God is watching out for you. Not just wallets, but reading glasses. I think I have 16 pair of reading glasses this morning. I lost all 15 of them. But God reminded me where I had one hidden, Robert. So I went to that hidden place and got those. And I know that sounds silly to you, but this morning I just did a little victory dance. Little, little. I got my glasses. I got my glasses. If we get so excited about little things like that, how much more excited should we get over the big battles that God is winning in our life? Do I have a friend in the house? David, his perspective being different from others, was that he had experience. And the Lord kind of showed me this. David was taking care of somebody, else, somebody else's sheep. It was his father's flock, but David was taking care of that flock. But David was so focused on doing what he was supposed to be doing in the kingdom that when a lion roared against that, that flock and tried to steal a lamb, or a bear roared against that flock and tried to steal a lamb, David, protecting his father's flock, the Bible says that David killed the lion with his bare hands, that David killed the bear 
with his bare hands. We don't know if David threw a rock at him. We don't know if David hit the lion over the head with the harp. We're not exactly sure how David defeated the lion, but he said he did it with his bare hands. And the battle that he won over the lion and the bear qualified him to fight the battle with Goliath. And I want to say this again. There are those with the sound of my voice that there have been lions in your life that have tried to hurt and harm the things that God gave you. There have been bears in your life that try to hurt and harm the things that God gave you. Maybe one was your health. Maybe it was the bear of addiction. Maybe it was a line of financial disaster. But there have been enemies in your life that have tried to hurt you and destroy you, and you have defeated them, and you stand today and say, I've got some experience. I've defeated the lion. I've defeated the bear. And this Goliath is nothing compared to the lion and the bear I already defeated. Somebody give the Lord a hand clap of appreciation. The seventh thing, and I already shared this with you, was David's attitude. When everybody thought the giant was too big to hit, David realized the giant is too big to miss. As he ran towards the army with that sling, scholars declare that Goliath was, was clothed from the top of his head, the bottom seat, with, with armor, a, protect, a male, you've seen it on, on uh, movies, I'm sure, Braveheart. He was completely protected. But where his helmet came over his head, there was a little notch right there for, the, for, the, for you to be able to take your helmet off. There was a little thumb hole there that you just moved your helmet back. It was probably a spot of about two inches by two inches. That was the only place that the enemy was uncovered. And lo and behold, as David was running and slinging that rock and let that rock go, the only place the enemy was vulnerable, David managed to put that stone right there and knocked him out. And I want to tell you, sometimes our prayer and praise needs to be specific. Our prayer and prayer needs to be focused. It's okay to walk around and lift up the name of Jesus and praise the name of Jesus and worship that. Those, those are all good, but sometimes we need to be specific in our praise. Father, I praise you today because you're overwhelming this cold in my body. And I'm walking in healing in Jesus' name. And I praise you, Lord, for the stripes that you shed, for the blood that you spilled, that I can walk in freedom and victory and healing. Father, I praise you today that even though the doctor says there's something wrong with my body, your word declares, by your blood, I am healed. So I'm praising you this morning that you're healing my body, you're healing my marriage, you're healing my finances, you're healing everything in my life. And that was the attitude of David. The, sometimes... The only way the enemy can be defeated is by direct intervention of God. I don't know that God intervened with that stone or if David was just that good. But David had the attitude, I am going to take this enemy down because he's blaspheming the things and the, name and the things of God in my life. Thank you, Pastor Rhonda, for that cheer. A little weak, but thanks. Let me, let me this morning, I've, this has been in my heart and spirit ever since I think two, two Wednesday nights ago when a state was made just concerning some things that somebody in, in my life was going through and so I started thinking about some of the uh, not examples but in samples and there is a difference this book is filled with stories of all kinds of people just like us that face challenges just like us that went through battles just like us storms just like us 
And in every story that we find in the Bible, we find that God always seems to be able to make a way where there seemeth no way. And there are those within the sound of my voice that you know what it's like to be thrown into a fiery furnace and come out not even smelling like smoke. There are those within the sound of my voice that know, knows what it's like to be thrown into a den of lions and not one single lion roar against you. There are those that have gone through some battles and some, and some storms that should have taken you out. There are people right now that, that the cancer has attacked their body and, and tried to kill them, and they are not dead today because of God's intervention and God's favor and God's blessing. So when you feel like that you're going through some stuff, I just remind you some of the stuff that God's champions went through. And if God did it for them, say this with me, if God did it for them, he'll do it for me. He's no respecter persons. It's not how much money, how much prestige, how famous I am. God blesses me because I'm his child, period. Then we thank him for it. And we thank him for the battles that he's winning. We thank him for the war that he's overcoming. We thank him for the circumstances in our life right now that he's experiencing. The first thing that I believe that David experienced was the spirit, and it is a spirit, of rejection. The Bible says the man of God came to the house of David to anoint the future king of Israel. There were six sons in the house. Samuel stood before each son. He looked upon the oldest. He was big, strong, good-looking. And God said, that's not the one. He looked at the fifth, the fifth son, good-looking kid, healthy, able to perform and compete. God said, that's not the one. And you know the story. Samuel stood for every single son that Jesse had, and God, and God said, that's not the one. Samuel, puzzled as to what was going on, knew that God sent him there, knew why God had sent him there, but couldn't understand why God didn't select one of the six. Samuel looks at the dad and says, hey, do you have another son? Is there, is there anything I need to know? And then all of a sudden, the dad remembered that there was a, a David. How terrible that you would be at a place where your dad would forget where you were and what you were doing and have this king selecting without you. And I think that David must have in his heart felt rejection. I'm out here by myself. I'm forgotten about. Nobody cares about me. I'm on my, hello. Anybody there with me? Nobody cares. I'm on my own. I'm doing this by myself. And sometimes we sound like Eeyore. Help me. I knew this would happen. I knew this would happen. And that's what David felt was rejection. But when David got to the battle, the Spirit of God moved upon him and reminded him of all the things that he'd already done to defeat the enemy, and he could take on the Goliath. I think the second thing that, that David may have encountered was the spirit of intimidation. His older brother said, we know why you're here. You're full of pride. You're full of this. You just come to watch the battle. You just come to show off. You just come to be, a, to be the baby of the family. And it's, it's easy sometimes to get overwhelmed by intimidation, either intimidation from other people saying you can't do it or your own intimidation saying that you can't do it. Do I have a friend in the house? Sometimes we talk ourselves out of our greatest victory because we're convinced we cannot do it. I learned as a young child that there was a, there was a, there was a statement made that said can't never could do anything. I don't know if you might have heard that before. Can't, never could anything. And I grew up in a household where my dad did not accept the word can't. 
when I said I can't do it, my dad would take the time. And my girls are helping me a little better now. I'm having so many challenges with my phone, but there's a help on my phone that, is, that assumes what words I want to use. And nine times out of ten, it's right. It's pretty cool. If I want to do happy birthday, little sister, I do happy, and it automatically shows birthday, and then it shows little, and I push little, and, and it, then it says sister, and it spells everything out for me, and I just send, and I'm so proud, and I'm so pleased. I've accomplished the 2017 technology. I'm winning until I'm not. Right. And all of a sudden, the phone is not spell check. It's not spell checking, and it's not suggesting. And it's so frustrating because then I have to type every single letter and get everything right. So I'll ask Christine or Courtney, I'll say, I said, girls, my phone's freaking out. Can you help me? In like 10 seconds or less, they've got it operating and working. But now I'm learning. I told Courtney yesterday, Courtney, show me what you're doing so then next time I can do it and I won't need your help. Do I have another friend in the house? Is that Abigail? I mean, I, I, mean I, think when, I think when Christine was nine, she knew more about the phone or the TV or anything else. You want something done, hire a teenager while they still know it all. Donna, can you relate? So I, think about, so I think about that rejection, and I think about that intimidation, and then I think of Gideon. We know the story. The enemy declared war on the people of God, Gideon had a very small patch of beans, green beans, and he had a sword, and he was guarding that patch of green beans. And the angel of the Lord came to Gideon, spoke his name, and said, O Gideon, thy mighty man of valor. And Gideon said, I'm not a mighty man of, of valor. I'm cowering. I'm in fear. I'm hiding. I'm trying to protect. This is all my family has to eat. I'm trying to protect it from the Philistines before they come and they take all my beans and I can't feed my family. But you know what? God looked beyond that low self-esteem and said, No, Gideon, you are the man that I have chosen for such a time as this. You're going to rise up. You're going to take an army. You're going to defeat the enemy because I have declared it and so shall it be. Don't ever allow low self-esteem to disqualify you from doing what God is calling you to do. We've said for years, if it's God's will, it's God's bill. If God is calling you to do something, he will apply the anointing and the favor and the wisdom and the courage to do what he's calling you to do. Do I have a friend in the house this, this morning? Then I think of Jonah. I think of a person that operated in disobedience. Jonah was anointed. Jonah was changing cities, entire cities they were repenting. God told Jonah to go to Nineveh. Jonah had some racist in him. He was prejudiced against, you, you read it, he was prejudiced against that race of people. He went the exact opposite way, and you know the story. God allowed that boat, that them to throw him in the water. He was swallowed by a whale, stayed in the belly of a whale for three days, began to pray, began to soul search, and then made God a promise that he would honor the vow that he made to God. And God allowed that whale to spit Jonah out. That's what the Bible says. God told the whale to spit Jonah out on the beach. And when Jonah was spit out on the beach, he began to preach. And that entire city turned its, back, turned its life back to God. All of us have operated in disobedience. All of us have bought that car when, when in our heart of hearts it was saying, you can't afford this car. All of us will go to Walmart and buy something we don't need to hang around people we don't like to do stuff we shouldn't be doing. And later we say, wow, that was a waste of money. Can anybody relate? 
nobody can relate. Turning 62, 63, however, I've lied so many times I can't remember how old I am. But as you get older, you notice things just don't work the way they used to. And you, you walk around singing that song, I tell it like it used to be. Hello. But uh, there's this thing going on with my hearing. And it's not that I'm deaf in a, certain, in a certain ear, but it's just that I can't hear quite as well as I used to. And because I like it loud when I play the TV, I turn it up loud enough for me to hear it. And unfortunately, nobody else can do anything in the house while I'm watching TV. Amen. And everybody's screaming at me. They're hollering at me. And I'm trying to listen and pay attention to Blind Spot or NCIS or Blue Bloods. And, and I'm, I'm, trying to, I'm trying to watch my, my program. Everybody in the house is shouting, You want something to eat? What? No? Okay, I'll get you. Bring me up. And I'm, I'm thinking, What? I can't even watch. I can't watch TV anymore. So we, we've solved the, the problem. We solved the problem. Rhonda's dad went somewhere and bought some little cheap device that the headsets were remote, and, and, and he could watch the TV, no volume, but he could hear the TV, and everybody was happy. So did I go to Radio Shack and buy the little cheap thing that he used to make it work in here? Oh, no. Oh, I had to go to the, the store, and I had to get the perfect headsets. I mean, these dudes are bad to the bone. And I mean, they were expensive. And then there was this little remote thing you plug in the back of the TV, and it didn't work because the, the something was in the way, so we had to get an extension cord on it. And then we had to buy a power, we had to power up the headphones because every 11 hours they go dead. And then we had to buy an adapter for that, and we had to plug another adapter in. So by the time we were done, I think I spent about $13,000. And, uh, and Pastor Todd came over and, and showed me how to make it work. But lo and behold, it worked. I don't know why I told you all that. I'm sure there was a reason to it. One of the challenges that you will find in, in people's lives is the challenge of rebellion. And I wrote down, there is a reason why God removes things from your life. There is a reason why God removes things from your life. When, t when Saul took on the city, God told Saul, spare nothing. Don't spare an animal. Don't, sp don't spare a chicken. Don't spare a baby. Kill everything in the city because it is, it is contaminated and I don't want anything there to survive. You know the story. Saul disobeyed and, and Saul kept the very best. Saul spared the life of the king. Uh, his name was Agag. And uh, if you'll go several hundred years later to the story of Esther, the enemy of God was Haman, the Agiite. See, God was trying several years earlier to wipe out that generation so that generation could not come several years later and try to destroy Esther and the people of God. There's a reason why God removes things from your life. There's a story in the Bible in Psalm 137. It talks about sitting by the river and weeping in the, in the willow trees because the enemy had taken them from their home and they were taking them and putting them in captivity. And that's the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. But the very last verse, the very last verse of, that, of that chapter says, Happy shall he be that taketh and dasheth thy little ones against the stones. Now that sounds horrible. Why would God ever tell anyone to take babies and destroy them? 
because God realized and they realized the babies don't stay babies. The babies grow up into monsters that are destroying and hurting and harming. I'm reading a book called Goliath Must Fall, and in the front of that book, there's a story, true story, of a girl that had a Bengal tiger, uh, a pet tiger, that uh, turned on her and, and, and killed her, killed her, began to eat her. And, you know, that's a story you think, why in the world would anybody raise a tiger? Because that's what tigers do. They eat people. They destroy people. But when she got the tiger, it wasn't a big monster. It was a little kitten. And I'm sure it was cute. And I'm sure it purred. I'm sure it laid its, its, its head on her neck. And I'm sure every day she grew up with that. And that was her pet. And, and they played together. And they spent quality time together. But then all of a sudden, that tiger did what tigers do. And that tiger killed her and destroyed her. And, and we, we realize that there's a reason why God removes things in our life. There's a reason why God shut that relationship down. There's a reason why God didn't want you to do anything with that business. There's a reason why God brought you where you're at and you're doing what you're doing because your steps are ordered, orchestrated, and ordained by the Lord. And he's watching over all things for your good. Do I have a friend in the house today? And I'll, let me end with, I've got one more. Let me, let me end with this one. And I want to end with Noah. And uh, Noah and Elijah both were great men of God. You know the story. Noah built an ark, spent 120 years building it. Had three sons and three daughter-in-laws. For some reason, in that 120 years, no one had any children. So no children were on the ark. But eight of them got on the ark. And you know the story. Everything else was destroyed by water. And Noah and his family and the animals were the only thing that survived. When Noah went into the ark, there were probably several hundred thousand people in that community. When Noah came out of the ark, there was nothing. And I think in that moment after the ark, I think Noah got depressed. I think Noah got overwhelmed by the tragedy and overwhelmed by the destruction. Although his family was safe, the rest of the world was completely gone. And I believe, I believe it got in his heart. I believe it got in his spirit. And the Bible says he planted a vineyard in his depression. He planted a vineyard, fermented the grape, and got drunk. Do not believe that alcohol is a solution for depression. I don't believe that drugs is a solution for depression. I was called Wednesday night around 9 o'clock to a thing going on in the hospital. I was in the hospital until almost 2 o'clock Thursday morning. And as this person was in the hospital going through stuff, they determined it was not her heart, but it was anxiety. I, I was there the next day, about 3 or 4 o'clock in the afternoon, and I was there when the doctor came in, and the doctor said, it's not your heart, it's anxiety, I'm putting you on Prozac. And, and, they, uh, and she asked him, said, well, how long will I have to be on this? And, and the doctor said, oh, the rest of your life. You'll have to be on Prozac the rest of your life. I disagree. I believe the joy of the Lord is our strength. And I believe a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, knowing who he is and what he does, can bring that joy. And I want to share, uh, I, want to go back to, I want to go back to Saul just for a minute because I remembered where I was going with that. When Samuel confronted Saul about what Saul had done in rebellion, he disobeyed God in rebellion, doing his own thing, Samuel looks at Saul and says a, a very interesting thing. And he says, I think it's in 1 Samuel 17, 45. Samuel says to Saul, 
that rebellion is as of the sin of witchcraft. And that word witchcraft in the Hebrew is pharmakia, where we get the word pharmacy, where we get the word drugs. I don't know that 4,000 years ago there was a warning there, but when we go against what we've been trained to do and we go against what we've trained to believe and we go another route and we begin to operate in the rebellion of drug use and drug abuse and drug addiction, we find ourselves in a hole feeling like the only way to get out of the hole is by doing more drugs, but the more drugs we do, the more depressed we get. Does that help anybody in the house this morning? God does not want you feeling rejected. He does not want you feeling intimidated. He wants you feeling depressed. God said, I will fill you with my joy. And as you begin to look after what things are true, lovely, any virtue, any praise, think on these things, and I will personally be with you. And what a promise that God has given us to do that. Can we give the Lord a hand clap of appreciation? And that's what I want to share with, I want to share with you. I wrote, I wrote down here on my last page. I had a few more things to go over, but I didn't. I wrote down here on my, on my uh, last page I've got, to leave the place that you're at, to get to the place you want to be, you have to remove caustic relationships from your life. The turtle asked the scorpion, the scorpion asked the turtle to swim him across the river. And the turtle said, no, if I get you in my back, you'll sting me and I'll die. And the scorpion said, why would I do that? If you drown, then I drown. Why would I, why would I sting you? So after a long time, he convinced the turtle. He got on the turtle's back. They got out in the river. And halfway in the river, the scorpion stung the turtle. And as they were both drowning, the turtle said, why would you do that? Why would you, why would you destroy your own life and, why, and destroy my life? Why would you do that? And the scorpion said, I don't know. It's what I do. It's what I do. And if there are people in your life that are bringing frustration and fear and discouragement and depression, find some new friends. As we run this race, watch this. We're, we're running a race. We're running with patience. We're, we're running with endurance. It's not a sprint. It's not the one that runs the swiftest. It's not the one that shines the brightest, but it's the one that endures to the end. It's a long-distance run, and you pace yourself. And as you're running, the enemy will try to put people in your life to slow you down, to stop you, to cripple you, and to defeat you. And then they take great delight in the fact that they ruined you and destroyed you. How crazy is that? I remember when we were all smoking pot, there was a guy that, that was smoking pot with us and he decided he didn't want to smoke pot anymore and what was so funny it was like we went out of our way to make sure he had pot to smoke we went out of our way because I guess because he was at a place where we wanted to be we knew we couldn't get there so we drug him down with us instead of stepping up where he was at does that help anybody in the house in the house at all um, so when we're running this race if you see you see yourself running Psalm says, blessed is the man that walketh not. See, if, if you're running, you don't have time to walk. But as you begin to walk, all of a sudden you find yourself surrounded by the counsel of the ungodly. Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth. No, sir, we're not running, we're not walking. Now we're standing in the, seat of, standing in the way of the sinner. And then it says, or sitteth in the seat of the scornful. The enemy wants you to stop running. He wants to put people in your life 
that will degrade you, disqualify you, defame you, destroy, dis discourage you, and destroy you. But if we're running the, the race, Mike, we're going to run past every hindrance, every obstacle, everything the enemy can possibly throw our way. It can't stick on us because we're running. Does that make sense? Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for this time. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the worship. We thank you for our guests and friends that have come to join us today. We thank you for the things that this house is involved in and what we're doing. We thank you for that. Lord, we, every one of us have a giant, maybe a small giant of intimidation or a big giant of, of low self-esteem or depression. But this morning, you have armed us through praise and worship and prayer. You've armed us with godly friends and good word and solid connection. You've armed us with the ability to destroy every personal enemy and bring to captivity every thought and take authority over every single area in our life. This week as we live, let us realize that there are the Noahs who got depressed and there are the, the, the Cains that got resentful and there are the Davids that got intimidated. But Lord, you used every one of them for your good and for your glory. You touched them, you touched them where they were and you helped them through what they were going through. You brought solutions, not problems. We ask that our heart will be open to your solutions, to your counsel, to your direction, to your teaching, to your wisdom, that we surround ourselves with people that love you, that are running the race, and as we begin to run with them together, we run to healing, we run to restoration, and we run to favor. In Jesus' name we pray, and they all said, amen. Thank you this morning for allowing me to share this word with you. Did it encourage anybody? Did it bless anybody? Three, four. You don't have to clap, but I want to make sure that I am... I am on track because it, the Lord does not want you walking in low self-esteem.